Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to the Outsider Art Podcast, Episode 7, Martin Ramirez, Part 3. The artwork of Martin Ramirez is singularly distinctive. Once seen, never forgotten, and always recognisable, his drawings play many of the same notes time and again, rearranged and reimagined, but always clearly in his hand. The exact number of works which make up his oeuvre is hard to calculate. He was prolific and the collection and cataloguing of his work understandably haphazard. We may find that in the future, unknown works turn up in unusual places. Whether these works are in a fit state of preservation is another matter. But if new works do appear, there will be little doubt, whatever the provenance, as to whether they are a Martin Ramirez or not. The works that we know of, more often than not, are recognisable because Ramirez drew the same subjects over and over again in his unique style, endlessly refining and redefining his subject matter and flexing his artistic muscle as he tweaked the variations. Why would he return again and again to the same topics? There are no certain answers to this question. They obviously held importance for him, and he was obviously meaning to express something through them. Some artists will return again and again to the same images and motifs searching for visual perfection, comparing and contrasting similar works as they advance their artistry. Ramirez may have been doing this, however, he would have been unable to compare his works as they were generally removed from his possession once he had completed them. Perhaps he was reclaiming them each time he redrew the same subject. Perhaps he had a story that needed telling until someone understood. Perhaps he wanted to make sure that these crucial images were there when he was gone. And by creating multiples of the same subject, he was ensuring that whatever happened to his work when it was taken off him or given away, that there were enough out there that some would remain. Daniel Bauman, in the book Martin Ramirez, which was published in conjunction with the American Folk Art Museum's 2007 exhibition, proposes a way of looking at Ramirez's work that could also help explain the repetition of themes. Quote, they, Mexicans and Ramirez this time, would sing on various occasions and had a broad repertoire of songs, which they would not only repeat over and over, but also continuously alter. By doing so, and without conceptualising this process, people got used to strong formal structures, classic narrative patterns, and efficient rhetorical tricks. Looking at Ramirez's oeuvre from a removed point of view, it can be compared to a continuous ballad that, over the years, repeats its verses again and again, while continuously altering them. The composition of his drawings too can be compared to music and song. Just like a drum provides a stable rhythm to a composition, sequences of regular lines provide a stable rhythm to Ramirez's works. 
These lines frame and stage one or several figures in the same way as rhymes and choruses embrace the key motifs of a piece of music. Ramirez's drawings are visual songs and may be compared to popular Mexican music, more precisely to a type of traditional song called the corrido. End quote. Ultimately, we can only guess at his reasoning and meaning, but the fact that he came back time and again to the same visual motifs means they are worth looking more closely at. In the book Martin Ramirez, they note four recurring subjects that Ramirez repeatedly came back to throughout his artistic career, and in the light of a more rounded biography, we can see how each of these subjects links closely with his life experiences. Far from being obscure and abstracted, the drawings of these subjects seems to me to be intensely personal and speak of close observation, memory, dreams, desires and a passion for visual storytelling. The four subjects are the horse and rider or henete, the Madonna, trains and tunnels and landscapes dense with details. There are more than 80 henete drawings in existence and they reflect Ramirez's strong affiliation with horses. According to his family, he was an accomplished horseman, and the role played by horses in Mexico in Ramirez's time was of primary importance to rural communities. They also played significant roles in both the Mexican Revolution, which happened while Ramirez was still in Mexico, and the Cristero Rebellion, which started not long after he had travelled to the USA. The pistols and bandoliers worn by many of the riders in these images suggest the armed rebels that would have been common during both the revolution and rebellion, and many of his Hinete drawings have the rider in profile, ready to shoot something or someone that we cannot see, but could hazard a guess may be the counter-revolutionaries or federal troops. Both men and women feature in these Hinete drawings. The female images were often cut out of magazines to create a mixed-media collage, perhaps because Ramirez wanted to represent them more clearly than he felt he could achieve with his crude figures. Also of note in these Hinete drawings is the way Ramirez composed a great number of them in a stage-like setting, so that the Hinetes are centred in the image and cocooned within a framing device that draws your eye directly into the place of action. Much like the eye is focused on actors on a stage or the priest at a pulpit in a church, both of which Ramirez would have been familiar with. Despite the constant repetition of the stage device, Ramirez varied the surrounds, using his familiar fingerprint and mollusk shapes and patterning in different colours, shadings and perspectives and embellishments to produce something unique every time. As I mentioned in part one, Ramirez was a devout Catholic and his two local churches are represented in some of his works. In the small parish of Capilla de Mepilas, where he was married, there remains from Ramirez's time an oil painting and small statue of La Purisima, a lady of the Immaculate Conception. It seems likely that Ramirez remembered these and took inspiration from them in his drawings of the Madonna. These drawings, executed at often an epic scale and several feet high, remain true to La Purissima. She is placed boldly in the centre with arms raised, a blue cloth stretched between them, standing on a globe, a snake curling around her sandaled feet. 
Her dress, barring one image, is densely ornamented, and Ramirez has carefully augmented this patterning with a variety of colours. He has crowned his Madonnas, which is the one exception to a faithful depiction of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. Perhaps the crown has been borrowed from the Virgin of Guadalupe. Ramirez varies the framing around his Madonnas. Some are set on a stage, others surrounded by flowers or mollusk patterns, colour and shading enhancing the overall image. My favourite part of Ramirez's Madonnas are the way he has done the eyes and hands. The eyes, of which no set are the same, are by turns sensual, humorous, indifferent or staring intensely straight at the viewer. The Madonna's hands, being difficult to draw at the best of times, seem to provide Ramirez room for experimentation. Some are posed straight on and flat, while others are gestural, with spindly, tendril-like fingers twisting in impossible positions. There is a care and intensity to Ramirez's Madonnas, which for me evoke a deep spirituality and religious devotion through, as stated in the book Martin Ramirez, quote, iconography that is both traditionally Mexican and Catholic, end quote. As well as his Madonnas and Hinetes, Ramirez also included both animals and people in his drawings. The animals are those which would have been familiar to him as a ranchero, and along with the horses of the Hinete drawings, are portrayed with bold graphic detail and posed according to type. His images of stags proudly and firmly standing with their multi-pronged horns are particularly impressive, and there is evidence of a real dedication to getting the physical attributes correct. Both humans and animals are dotted throughout his landscape and train and tunnel drawings, at times integrated into the overall composition, in others they are framed separately, such as in his man at desk and three scribes drawings. Ramirez's trains and tunnel drawings are among his most striking works. They are instantly recognisable and endlessly inventive, despite him repeating the same imagery across multiple works. Ramirez not only travelled by train to the United States, but he also worked on the railroads before his hospitalisation. The train was his way into the US, but he could only draw his way home again, which he did repeatedly. He used both horizontal and vertical compositions in these drawings. His horizontal drawings were done in long strips, often featuring tunnels at both ends, always giving the train somewhere to go a journey, an exit, or perhaps an escape route. His vertical drawings are, I think, particularly stunning. The train is often coming down directly towards the bottom of the page, the perspective difficult to draw, but nonetheless these images are full of dynamism. He also included other vehicles such as cars and vans, which he would have been familiar with from his time as a worker in the US, and through photographs and magazines he had access to in the hospital. These cars crawl like beetles into and out of tunnels. There are also a selection of drawings that are split between horizontal and vertical, such as Alimentosa, which in the horizontal top third of the work, we see a thoroughly modern locomotive exiting one tunnel and just about to enter the tunnel on the other side of the page. The bottom two thirds of the drawing is vertical, with another train having emerged from a darkly shaded void in the centre top of the image, just about to leave the bottom of the page. 
At the very top of the page, carefully lettered in capitals, is the word Alimentosa, which, according to Victor Espinosa, doesn't have a particular meaning or denote a particular place. Alimentosa, as with his other train and tunnel drawings, is embellished with his familiar mollusk shapes and lines, a variety of patterns and careful shading. The drawings also sometimes included flowers and other flora, people and animals and colour. I'm particularly fond of Ramirez's train and tunnel drawings. For me, they have a dreamlike epic quality to them, a sort of magical escapism. It was in his landscapes that Ramirez brought all of the previously mentioned themes and elements together. In these works, we see the Hinetes, people and animals, trains and tunnels, all manner of vehicles, churches and buildings, patterns and decorative elements, plants and foliage. Some of these works are a glorious mishmash of techniques and tools, such as collage, chintgolet, crayon, pencil and coloured pencil. Others are more stripped back using pencil and coloured pencil, which is typical of much of his other work. An untitled landscape work held by the American Folk Art Museum from the collection of Audrey B. Heckler, who, incidentally, has just recently generously gifted her entire collection to the museum, is particularly rich with a variety of techniques. At almost nine feet long, it is a giant chaotic piece that captures a lifetime of experiences, memories and artistic accomplishment. It speaks deeply of Ramirez's home in Mexico with buildings, animals and people and collaged images of rural life interspersed with the ubiquitous trains and tunnels, plants and patterns. Framing the top of the image is a wild traffic jam of drawn and found images of cars, perhaps a nod to the immigrant experience. And on the right hand side is a large, extravagantly crafted capital R surrounded by flowers, a signature of sorts. Knowing what we do now of Ramirez's life, it seems explicitly autobiographical and is, in my opinion, a profoundly moving and emotional masterwork that deserves a place amongst the greats of the Mexican art canon. In fact, I would argue, though it is not my place, that Ramirez's entire oeuvre should be considered a cultural treasure of Mexico. With our enhanced understanding of his life and knowing that he shared his experiences as a rural worker and then as an immigrant with millions of other Mexicans, and as an institutionalized patient with at least thousands of other Mexicans, his work represents not just the life of one man, but the lives of many. As I discussed in the first episode of the Outsider Art podcast, the idea of patrimonial emphasis, valuing a body of work as part of a shared cultural heritage, can be applied to some oeuvres within the outsider field. Valuing the cultural patrimony of Ramirez's work as a significant part of Mexican art and history is, I think, an idea whose time has come. And having fomented perhaps a little bit of controversy, I'll end this episode and series on Martin Ramirez. I hope you've enjoyed the last three episodes and that you will enthusiastically seek out his art for further viewing pleasure. As always, I would encourage you to check out the reading list for further information, and if you could, please review, subscribe, follow and share the Outsider Art Podcast. And I apologise for the length of time it took me to get this episode out. 
Hopefully the next episode on the warm and wonderful sculptural work of Judith Scott won't take me so long. Please join me for the next episode, and thanks so much for listening.